Today we're talking about identity theft. That's our, that's our series title. And uh, you need to really know who in order to know what you do. Don't you think? It's an important thing to know who you are first. Then you figure out what you do. The problem is in our culture is that a lot of times we decide who we are based on what we It's like we're... It's like reverse. And that can cause a lot of trouble in our lives. Thinking that we are what we do, our jobs, or we are what our relationships say we are. We are uh, what the things in our life say we are. We're rich. We have a boat. We have a nice house. This isn't who we are. This is not our identity. When we define ourselves by those things at the end... That is a big mistake. And it caused great instability in our lives, trouble and trauma in our lives. But when we are defined, when our identity is rooted in Christ, like what we're talking about, it makes all the difference in our lives. It really changes us. Identity theft is all about the lie. And the devil is the one who loves to lie, right? The Bible says that it's his native language. Lying about who we are to ourselves. We can lie to ourselves. Someone else can lie to us. And the devil has a whole bunch of things out there in this world that speak to us about who we are and that, that if we're, we don't attain some certain goal or certain way of being, that we're losers. My son did this to me the other day. <laughs> we, were, we were in two different cars driving downtown for some party or something, and he just went like that and gave me the look. <laughs> I'm not defined by that. <laughs> the only identity equation that works in this world is this. You plus Christ, say it with me, you plus Christ equals wholeness and meaning. Equals wholeness and meaning. You in Christ is what your identity is. And when it's defined by anything else, then you're in trouble. So that's what we want to talk about today. We want to be able to live in truth Live with a true understanding of our identity. Who knows who Hiro Onoda is? Raise your hand. Okay, none of you. That's good. Hiro Onoda was a soldier in the Japanese army. In 1944, he graduated from training as an intelligence officer. And then he was shipped off to the Philippines to serve the Japanese army. His orders were to make sure that he does as much destruction and damage to stop the enemy as best he could, to destroy the airfield and anything else he could do, kill the soldiers, whatever he can do. His other orders were very simple. Don't surrender and don't kill yourself. And so for that first year, 1944 to 1945, he worked really hard at this. He did a lot of damage. He, was, he had a team of people, and he worked hard. And then, in 1945, what happened? He, no, he didn't die. <laughs> but that was a good guess. <laughs> the war ended. 
And so here he is isolated on top of the mountains in the Philippines, doing all this damage, being kind of a, like a terrorist, destroying uh, in, in, in the Philippine communities and everything like that, stopping the soldiers. And then in 1945, in October, was the first time he saw a little leaflet. And that leaflet said, surrender, the war is over. It ended on August 15th. And so he looked at it and he thought to himself, well, there's a lot of gunfire still going on. This must be propaganda. And so he got rid of it. Then later on in the year, towards the end of the year in 1945, A plane flew overhead and dropped leaflets. It was orders from the general in Japan. Surrender. The war is over. Come out of the mountain. And he looked at it and he thought to himself, no, this couldn't at all be true. My orders were to never surrender. So he got rid of it and said, this is propaganda. This is true. Then in 1952... 1952, his family is wondering where he is. And so they take pictures and leaflets, and they drop it on the same mountain. And they say, surrender, come home, the war is over. And he looks at it and says, this is the worst propaganda yet. And he tosses it away. This is true. 1974. His direct commanding officer flies over from Japan and looks him straight in the eye and says, the war is over. Go home. 1974. That's 30 years of not knowing what the truth is and walking in what's not true. We can do that, can't we? We can do the same thing. So that's what we're talking about today. That's why our identity in Christ is so important. Now, I want to talk about I am love. That's what this sermon is entitled. I am loved by God. Let's pray and allow the Lord to just open our hearts. And, you know, uh, a lot of you come every week. You hear a message every week. And it's very easy, like, like a rock skipping on the water, to just have truths of God just skip over your heart and not really go deep. So can we ask the Lord to to just uh, break up the waters of our heart and to really speak to us where we're at right now? All right, Lord, we just come before you and we just invite your spirit right now, whether whether we've known you at all or we've known you for a long time. It doesn't make a difference. Right now, you want to speak. And Lord, we make a decision. We want to listen with an open heart. We want to hear what you have to say. Speak to us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. My first point is I am loved by God. And our scripture today is Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. So let's read this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with his riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
first, we just, as we look at this scripture, there's things that, that are so important to notice about it. First is, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. It's easy to walk around, and if you know Jesus, it's easy to look at your life a lot of times and to not remember that the blessings of God are ours. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Every blessing that God has is for us. But so often in our day, we look, we see circumstances, and we are dragged down by those circumstances thinking that is more real than the promise that he has given us every spiritual blessing. Which is more real? Are you there? Which is more real? The blessings. Regardless of what you see, regardless of your circumstances. I think of Stephen, who is, is about, he just preached a sermon of his life, his very first sermon. He's preaching this incredible message recorded in the Bible. And he's thinking, this is amazing. What a blessing. And then he gets the next best blessing in the entire universe. He gets stoned to death. And it's easy to look at a circumstance like that and say, man, I just started this job. Now it's over. But instead, he gets to look, to God, look at God face to face for all eternity right after the, the one great sermon he preached. Isn't that awesome? So in our circumstances, we should not let those pull us down because we have the blessings of God. Then it says he chose us. How key is this to us that we're chosen by him? Chosen by him. It's a powerful thing. You know, the, the, the thing that I can relate to the most when it comes to this is the vows that my wife and I said to each other when we got married 22 years ago. And uh, Eric was right here. He was my best man. He was right there. And Jody was on the piano. She wrote a special song for us for our wedding. It was an amazing wedding. We had our two pastors up here leading us in the service, and we said our vows to one another, and we chose each other. And it seems like all the rejection that I've ever felt in my whole life, you guys know what I mean, right? It's just kind of like all dissipated because this woman who was so amazing chose me, and I chose her. And we celebrate that every wedding that, that we go to, or even if I'm officiating, we're saying the vows to each other again. We're choosing each other again. It's an amazing thing to be chosen. That is a small understanding of God choosing, choosing us. God saying, you're mine. I choose you. And that doesn't make you special or, or, or different than anyone else. It's not like you can say, oh, I've been chosen, right? It's God's grace, God's love. I choose you to be my son. I choose you to be my daughter. You are the one I choose to love. And that is an amazing thing. Turn to someone right now and say, God chooses to love you. And then it says, in love, he predestined us to be his sons and daughters. In love, he predestined us. In love, he determined. When did he determine it? When you cleaned up and you did a good job and you, decide, and you, and you gave him an apple and said, here, dad, you know, I, I, I want to I be loved? Was it then? 
Was it after you read the whole Bible and studied it and memorized the book of John? Was it after that? It wasn't after you cleaned up. It was while you were in your dirty, stinking rags. Me too. And God just burst forth with his arm and said, Here, I love you. I choose you. I destine you to be mine. Not by your works so that no man can boast. Isn't that right? And this, it says, was his pleasure and will. You guys, before I got this, I always always thought that I felt like I was an unwelcome, dirty obligation that God had to deal with. Can you relate? Oh, man. Look at this mess. Look at this world. It is a disaster. And look at that guy. Look at that Jewish guy with the nose. What is he up to? What a mess. I got to deal with this. I don't want to. This is going to cost a lot. I am really not into this. And that's the way I thought. That's the way I thought. But God says that it was his pleasure and will. Isn't that amazing? The most costly act in the universe was to love us because it required Jesus Christ dying on the cross, his son dying on the cross to forgive our sins. And it was his pleasure and will. Too often we look at God as pleasing the gods, like in the Greek sense of we have to bring offerings, we have to be right, we have to do everything, all their demands, all their horrible requests, we have to do that. And for Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, all he says is, it is my pleasure and will to love you and to pour my grace upon you. It is my pleasure and will. It is not because it's some awful thing that has to get cleaned up like the Gulf of Mexico after that dirty, stinking spill. You think that company would have cleaned up if they weren't forced to do it? You think no. You think they would have reimbursed people that lost money in businesses if, if they weren't forced to do it? No. But God in his love in his pleasure and will, poured out his love for us. What an amazing thing. He freely gave us his grace, his redemption, his forgiveness. And then it says he lavished it upon us. What a word. I love Paul's words. He's a good wordsmith. He lavished it upon us. That word has in its literal meaning a superabundance. What's an abundance? That's more than enough, right? Right? And superabundance is more than more than enough. When God pours out his love, when God lavishes upon you, it is more than more than enough. That is incredible, you guys. That is the love of God. When we recognize that as part of our identity, that God loves us like that, it changes you. And I feel like in the scripture, God is saying, what part of I love you do you not understand? Because this is it. He adores us. This is the love of God. Isn't that amazing? 
to the praise of his glorious grace, it says. To the praise of the glory of his grace is the literal. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace. His grace is glorious. What's his grace? His love poured out unconditionally for each one of us. It is glorious, and because of it, the entire universe sees the love of God poured out on those that don't deserve it, and they praise God because of the grace that they see in the universe towards us. Angels praise the living God. Powerful beings in the universe look and they marvel at the love and the grace that's poured into our hearts. Is that amazing? That is the love of God for us. What's the practical application of I am loved? Well, when you have a love like that, it's very easy to Breathe a sigh of relief, isn't it? And to know that you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to fear. That you have a security. This love is beyond any love that we could know on earth. It is a love that truly has been lavished in superabundance upon us by the most powerful, most loving being in all of creation and beyond. And that is our identity in Christ. We are loved. He lavished this love on everyone, and it was expressed in a very powerful way. It didn't stop with just, I love you, now be on your way. Right? He didn't do that. He didn't just, you know, give us, okay, we got a bag of of love, and okay, now we're on our way. He didn't do that. He adopted us by the Father. The Father adopted us. Now, this is pretty profound because it's very easy to pat somebody on the back and say, good job, I love you, and, 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 and be on your way. But God did much more than this. God the Father adopted us as his children, moving us into a relationship that is way beyond just a pat on the back and a one-time experience. This is now a commitment that goes into eternity. And it changes our DNA. It changes our DNA. Our scripture says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The purpose of his predestining was not just some plan to make everything look good, some strategy to wile the enemy. It was to adopt us. That was God's plan. Let's read Galatians 3. It says, You were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happened. We became sons and daughters of God through faith. And what happened because of that? 
There is no longer any Jew or Greek or slave or free, male or female. But we are one. We are adopted. Our DNA is being changed. That's what this is saying spiritually here. Our DNA is being changed. We are not being identified by anything that this world has to identify us with anymore. Slave, Jew, free, Greek. We are now his. Adoption, this is the definition of adoption, a permanent change of status that transfers all rights and responsibilities along with legal status. This is a permanent change. It's a DNA change. At the most essential level, molecular level, there is a change that's taking place. I'm not talking about physically. The physical will die. I'm talking about something way more eternal. Spiritually, our DNA is changing And we are sons and daughters of God. Abraham's seed, it says. I have a question for you. If you're not Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, what is your identity? That's the way the world defines our identity. What is our identity? Well, the answer is here. Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Abraham's seed. What does that mean? Well, if we look at the promise that, he, that God gave to Abraham, it becomes more clear. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. This is our, our inheritance, the very promises of God. This is our inheritance. And how did we receive this? Did we receive this because we got some letter in the mail and and here it was, some certificate? No. Did we receive this because we did something? And so because you did something, like you graduated a program, that now you receive the promises of God? No. You get it the same way Abraham got it, by faith. That is the DNA of being a child of God. By faith. Isn't that awesome? Because we are Abraham's seed, we are heirs according to the promise. Galatians 4 says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Full rights as sons. We should walk in this reality. Let's not be like Hiro on this, the Japanese soldier. Let's walk in understanding that we have full rights as sons and daughters of the king. Not arrogantly strutting about, right? That's not what this is talking about. It's very rare that someone would do that, but you might go that direction. The direction that most people go is is 
they kind of they kind of fall apart and, and and they don't really realize their rights and and so they kind of walk through life like this yeah i know jesus and yeah i know he loves me but you know it's a hard life well it might be a little bit hard but god's given us full rights as sons the blessings that he has for us are yes and amen in christ we need to recognize those and walk in them Remember, I said you need to know who you are so you know what to do. If you are a son with full rights, how would you change the way you behave throughout the day? Yeah, you're all laughing now, chuckling. You would, wouldn't you? And that's what we need to do. And because we are sons, the Spirit is sent into our heart. And it cries, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Daddy, intimacy, love, relationship. This is the key. This is what it's about, guys. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing this or doing that. It's not about anything. But first, it's about Daddy, our relationship between daddy. That's what it's about. That's what your identity is. You are a child of God. You are a son, a daughter of the Most High God. And so he sends his spirit into your heart. And you can have the intimacy of saying, Daddy. I challenge you today in a loving way to learn what it is to be able to have the ability to to say daddy to God Almighty, the creator of the universe. It is the most wonderful, fulfilling thing to know him in this way, this way that was his plan all along. You know, I... It's amazing, this adoption is just so amazing. And, you know, adoption in history has been something that has really been strengthened in... In Christianity, adoption in this world, the real understanding of it came about because of Christians grabbing babies that are on the street that are left and children that are on the street that have been rejected and pulling them in and adopting them. And uh, we had a family in our, in our circle of influence at our, at our church in, in California where Cynthia and I pastored and wonderful, wonderful kids, two daughters, and a great family, and they felt like they were to adopt someone, and so they started a foster-adopt process with a girl about the same age as their girls. And I think when she came into the family, she was about five. And when she got adopted, finally, after the foster-adopt process, she was about seven. And we were invited because we were the godparents. We were very proud godparents. And we were invited to go to the courthouse and experience an adoption. How many of you have ever experienced an adoption, like in the courthouse? Isn't it a wonderful thing? It's so special. It's like the, the most touchy-feely the government ever is. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just such a special thing to, to be in there. And, and at that very moment, that, that child, this girl, went from having no parents to having parents and to be chosen by that family and to be adopted by that family. And that family loved her and cared for her and, 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 and it was a wonderful situation. 
But there were struggles. And the struggles led to some very difficult times. Because this girl had really had abuse in her earlier life. That's why she was in the system. And, and, and she had attachment disorder. Where because of hurtful things that have happened early on in your life, you now can't attach to your parents or, or those that are caring for you. And, and, and so it just got worse and worse. And eventually she couldn't live with her family anymore because of, of how, how terrible the situation had gotten. And folks, I believe that often spiritually we have attachment disorder with God. What do you think? Because of the things that have happened in our lives, the hurts that we've experienced in our life, the struggles that we've faced, the lies that we've heard, that now it's very hard to attach to our Father. But God wants to change that. I believe that there's many people in this audience today that want to connect with God in a new way and not have this attachment disorder and not have this distance from the Father. That is not his desire. His intention from the beginning was to draw you in. Do you think this might change you if you realize that you were adopted by him and you didn't allow barriers to be between you and him? Well, he didn't stop there. He loved us, so he chose us. He loved us, so he adopted us. And now he loved us so much that he accepted us in his family. That's our final point. Paul is describing in our scripture today something way deeper than just this relationship, although it is profound, between God and himself. He is describing a relationship that goes a lot deeper than that. You know, we saw where there's no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male, no female. The dividing walls were broken down, and now the DNA was one DNA. It was faith in God, Abraham's seed. Like the great melting pot of the 1800s in the, in the United States where everybody came from all over. And they kept a little bit of the, who they were, their, their you know, personal things. But now they embrace this wonderful country. We even saw that just last week with the, with the Boston bombing. How, how our country is connected and, and cares for one another. Even thousands of miles away. We see this principle. But it's even more profound in the kingdom of God and in the family of God. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. No barriers. There is a new DNA. We don't look at people the same anymore. We are a family. We are family. Come on, Eric. I'm going to sing. I'm threatening you right now. I'm going to sing. He's going to cut off my mic. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Jody begs me not to sing. (laughs) Things are forever different. We are in God's family, you guys. And when you become a child, you enter into a relationship that is more than just 
the Father. Although that is profound, it is the whole family that we enter into. This is what it says in Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is it. This is it. You are members of God's household. I just want to show you this little, little graph here that's, that's up. Hey, you guys are good. This is the way we see a lot of times us and God. This is, and, and this is, like I said, this is an amazing, profound relationship. It is the primary relationship in a family, is it not? The parent with the children. This is the primary relationship. But if this was the only relationship, I know kids would very much like to not have to relate to their siblings. But <laughs> the reality is, is that this is what a healthy family looks like. We are relating one to another. The love of the Father is pouring into us. We are responding in love, and it's splashing to everyone else around us in our family. That's what the family of God is all about. God has been building this family since Adam. He said, let us make man in our image for the very purpose of building a family. Isn't that amazing? And then it says in Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We are his family, and we derive our name from him. God's greatest plan was that he would have a family, and we are it. It began with Adam, it continued with Abraham, and it extends to each one of us that we are a part of his family. So, I know what you're saying right now. You're saying, I like this part of I'm loved, right? How many of you like that part? Yeah. Okay. And now you're also saying, I love the part about being adopted. How many of you like that part? But the whole idea of being in a family, now that stinks, right? I mean, families are messy. They're painful, right? Oh, man, how many of you have, like, an Uncle Ira in your family? I mean, really, right? It's rough, let me tell you. <laughs> Families are painful. There are issues. There is not one perfect family, and guess what? The family of God is not perfect either. On purpose, because who you are and who I am, it's important that we work together. And the things that you're strong in, I need. The things that I'm strong in, you need. The things that I'm weak in, you need. So that you can learn patience. Right? The things you're weak in, I need. So I can develop patience. How many of you think that's important? This is what family's all about. So you, you might object to that problem. But I tell you, it is so important. He has placed you in the body according to the way he sees fit. That's what the scripture says. So you should know that exactly where you are is exactly where he wants you. So that you grow and become all that he has for you. And we grow and become all that God has for us. Embrace where you're at because that is God's plan. It is a direct act of love that you are in his family. I know probably at least half of the people in this room, when they hear the word family, it's a hard thing for part of it. 
right? But God's family is a family that is intended for healing and life and blessing and fullness. Here's very quickly some lies about, about being in your new family. The first one is, I don't need God's family. That's the first lie. I'm on my own. I'm doing just fine. Hey, look at me. I'm okay, right? I'm not dead. I still love Jesus. And you know what? I like it this way. Just you, you and me, God. You and me, God. And I'll go to church, and I'll just sit, and I'll listen, and then I'll go. And that's okay. That's all I need. And the scripture is pretty clear that that's not all you need. Because he loves you. He's placed you in his body, in his family. It says in Ephesians 4, From him the home body, joined and held together, but by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That means that there's a whole bunch of parts that we need to connect to that will help me mature, help you mature, help you grow, help me grow. That's what it's about. So if you think you're doing fine on your own, I'm sure you're still loving Jesus. But that is not doing fine. God has way more blessing for you. And because he loves you, he placed you in his body for that purpose. The next lie is I don't offer anything good to the family. I'm not worthy. Well, guess what? You didn't get in the family because of anything you did. So who cares, right? Who cares? Because you are an important part of this body. As a matter of fact, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians that those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They seem to be weaker, but guess what? They are indispensable. If you think that you can't play guitar, like this guy here who's awesome on the guitar, right? Well, guess what? Who cares? You have an important part to play. Or I love Jesus, not the church. It's easy to do that. You know, the church is full of hypocrites. I've been hurt by the church. Jody says something which I really like. You can't love Jesus and hate his body. You can't love the head of the body and not the rest of the body. And then finally, I can't let myself open up because it's scary. It's painful. It hurts. I'm... No one else is like me. Well, that was me. I couldn't, open, I couldn't open up. I was struggling when I first came to Christ, and I had an amazing relationship with Jesus, but I could not open up and talk about the things that were inside me. Can you relate? I couldn't open up about the conflict that was going on in me about sexual orientation, I couldn't open up about the, the things that, that I was facing regarding drugs. I couldn't open up about these things. And uh, it was too scary. And so I believed this lie. And for about four years, I went into a life that was very destructive, very painful. And uh, when people started dying around me, I realized that it was more painful to do this than it was to decide to open up and to talk about what's going on. The scripture says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. 23 years ago, I was healed. 
I was healed on the inside by Jesus Christ. And I was delivered from addictions. And I was delivered from my confusion and, uh, uh, about sexual orientation. A year later, God said I'd be married in a year. A year later, I got married to my wonderful wife, Cynthia. We've been married 22 years, and we have two great kids. I just want to encourage you. If you, if you feel like you cannot open up, that's what the family is about. You are loved. And when I opened up, I had people like Jody and Eric around me. And guess what? They're still around me. After 23 years, they know what a schlub I am, and they're still around me. (laughs) That's what the family of God is all about. Amen?